Blog Talk Radio. everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Energy Awareness Radio. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, and the founder and CEO of the Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, which is a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a board-certified integrated holistic health therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer free of charge and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energy awareness. Now, here we are mid-January already. Now, how many of you are working on your resolutions? Statistics state 47% of those who make resolutions quit by this point. 
And we put so much pressure on ourselves after barely getting over the joy and merriment of the most wonderful time of the year. It's a bit insane that the pressure, the stress that we self-inflict comes on the heels of such a euphoric time. It's as though we feel this need to punish ourselves because we enjoyed a few days of heartfelt goodness amongst the stresses that we also create around the entire season of hope and giving. Why do we do that? And more importantly, how do we stop the madness, manage the stress, and get on with our true purpose of living a joyful and meaningful life? And while our guest is here to speak about developing self-awareness and critical thinking in adults, much of what is offered will provide answers for adults as well. So get ready to help yourself and those you love as our guest shares proven techniques that will work for everyone from the very young to the much older but still very young at heart. Carrie O'Driscoll has been described as a tree-hugging, granola-eating idealist, and she takes that as a compliment, as she should. (laughs) She writes about social justice, parenting, mindfulness, food, and her family, with their permission, of course. And after Carrie completed degrees in biology and philosophy from Pacific University in Oregon, she went on to work in various healthcare settings before realizing writing was the most compelling activity she could imagine doing. And she founded the Self Project in 2015 to share her adolescent social emotional health curriculum with educators and parents. And she writes on her personal blog, and her work has appeared online in multiple outlets as well. So welcome to the show, Carrie. Thank you so much for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? I am really great. Um, it is we are very rare snow day in Seattle. And I love those because those are the days that where everything, the whole city shuts down and it sort of mm-hmm. gives you permission to just chill out and drink tea and go a little slower. <laughs> so, Which is great. Know. Yeah. <laughs> we need yeah. those mandated days because we don't get them. <laughs> right. And, and if you it's sort of, if it is mandated, then you don't have to go through the machinations of giving yourself permission to slow down. It's sort of like, right. oh, look, everybody's stopping. Okay, I'm good. I'm stopping now. And, you know, I have a theory about that, not to go off track here, but I seriously do. I've said this a number of times. I think someone should do a study on when stores were legalized to be open on Sundays, because when there was no store openings on Sundays and people went to church and then they came home and the drugstore closed at noon. So if you got sick, you had to pick up whatever before noon, because after that you had to wait until Monday morning at nine. If someone did a study, I think they'd see a correlation between increased stress, domestic violence, violence of every sort, and the pressure that we put on ourselves, because that was a mandated day off. No one could really do anything, and we need that so badly. And that actually does tie into your book, too. (laughs) But that's my theory. And people keep saying, why don't you do this study, Tina? And I'm like, I don't have time to do this study. I just think it's a good idea. (laughs) I I think it would be surprising. (laughs) I think, you know, if if anybody who's listening is interested in doing that study, I think the other thing you could tie in is the number of days that people take as Monday since then. Yes. Because if you've got the time to just really slow down, maybe have a big family dinner on Sunday, you know, and everything's a little bit slower. Instead of now, what I hear from people is, you know, Saturday and Sunday is about, Saturday is about getting all the crap done that you couldn't get done during the week while you were working. And then Sunday is about preparing for the week ahead. And so it's all about racing around and doing, doing, doing. And it isn't about just being either by yourself yeah, and, or other people. And people don't think they feel guilty when they take time off. Like, don't feel guilty. Get, get rid of the stupid cell phone. Do something. When everybody laughs at me because I don't have one. I, I refuse to learn to text. I do not text. Do not text me. I can't accept a text. It won't happen on my phone. My phone's circa 2005. It's a Motorola Razor, pretty in pink. You know, <laughs> and it's a lifestyle choice. It really is. And people look at me when I say that and they think, wait, you actually don't want to do this? It's not that, you know, you don't know how. And I'm like, I'm not stupid. I just, but I'm smart because I don't want to do that. I don't want to get involved in all of that. But all that aside, (laughs) your book, One Teenager at a Time, it's somewhat of a manual for middle and high school educators. And 
the curriculum that's offered is is extremely creative and innovative, and I, I understand that you derived most of uh, most of it from current research and education, mindfulness, and adolescent brain development. So, the fourth question I have is, is okay. You're a tree-hugging, granola-eating idealist with a background in biology and <laughs> philosophy. How did you come to write this book? <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, I came to it very organically. Um, it, I've always been interested in biology, but I also have been a very um, sort of curious and spiritual kind of person. Um, so I, I, I always wanted to sort of draw lines and find context between, you know, the not-so-obvious maybe biology and chemistry principles. Um, and it's really sort of a right-brain, left-brain kind of thing. When I was in college and I was really marrying those two things together, um, it seems to me to be very they're, – they're very um, – it creates a comprehensive view of the world. Um, and then when I got out into the workforce um, – it wasn't exactly very encouraged <laughs> to do that, right? When I was working either as a surgical assistant or um, for the state, Washington State Mental Health Division, you people didn't encourage you to be curious and think outside the box and create that holistic view. Right. Um, and so really writing this curriculum was a way for me to get back to who I really am. Um, I happened to have middle school age daughters at the time and our house is that house where all the kids would come over after school especially if they had um, parents that were working that weren't home you know because I was working from home the kids would all come over and hang out and have snacks and do their homework and stuff and so I had this perfect um, pilot study group (laughs) yes you did (laughs) they were really my guinea pigs I mean I watched I watched what they were doing I watched what they were learning I watched the things that were incredibly important to them and then you know knowing what I know about adolescent brain development and also having been really steeped in mindfulness myself I began to see what was missing for them what they weren't getting either in extracurricular activities or at school and that was really the purpose for me writing this book was to fill one of the holes that I thought missing for those kids. Yeah, and I think it definitely is missing. The good news is that there are a lot more schools who are open to bringing in mindfulness. And I'm going to attribute some of that and maybe a lot of that either to John Kabat-Zinn because, um, I mean, I love his work. And I think he started something that people start took seriously, you know, Instead of thinking, yeah, that's a little, you know, outside of our area. It's kind of out there where the buses don't run. And we don't want to do that in the school because a lot of people think if you get into meditation and talk about mindfulness, they think of it as almost cultish or a religion and they don't want that in the schools. But it's taken on a different tone recently. And I think that that's a good thing because the kids need it. They're so high stressed today. They're, it's at an all time high. And I actually will attribute a lot of that to social media because I think they're getting hit at every turn and it's, it's global, you know, from people they don't even know there's bullying and there's, you know, you have to do this and you have to look this way and you have to act this way. And, and some of that, you know, is they're taking it in, they're sucking it right in. And I found that your book is really a great way to help them, the parents and the teachers to help them to not, see things that way to be able to step away from that and almost be the observer of it rather than the person who's don't take it personally. Do you know what I mean? I do. And I, and I think um, that you're spot on about a lot of that. I think one of the other really underlying things that we have yet to address either as parents or as a culture and certainly within our educational institutions is that the other thing that we do that really messes kids up is everything is compartmentalized and especially when kids hit those adolescent years which for my intents and purposes I start talking about kids as young as 10 um, Mm -hmm. their brains beginning to be able to process much more complex and abstract thought and they're literally supposed to be integrating information across 
different subjects and domains, but that's the time, ironically, where we compartmentalize everything for them, where we tell them you got to specialize in a sport. If you're an athlete, yeah. you got to pick one and do it all year round. You know, you need to travel from science to math to language arts to social studies to PE. We're going to compartmentalize everything in your world. And even the social media stuff is compartmentalized, right? This is mm-hmm. what your physical appearance should be. This is what your grades ought to be. This is, And really what we're doing is we're forcing these kids to, to think and act and exist in a way that is completely 100% counter to what their brains are actually trying to do. And yeah. God, it's no wonder we're creating that amount of stress on these kids. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, you had to have done, granted, your background helped you a lot, but there had to have been a lot of research, particularly in adolescent brain development that you had to go through in order to, and, and I know you've got the education, the background for it, but it had to be something clicked in somewhere where you were like, I need to write this book. And there had to be additional research in order for you to feel confident and comfortable enough to be able to put the book out there. Is it, am I, um, am I okay in saying that? <laughs> You know, even five years, the um, that we've learned about the human brain and especially the adolescent brain has been just amazing. I mean, if you look at, you know, Joanne Deek and Dan Siegel and some of the research that's coming out of the Center for Healthy Minds, and I, you know, it's astonishing what we know now that we didn't know when I was in college. Off, off 30 years ago, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yes, absolutely, there is an absolute treasure trove of information out there about the adolescent brain, and it really, I mean, I could learn something, I could go down that rabbit hole and learn something new every single day, and sure. never be up on all of it. Yeah, and that, I mean, it stands to reason the brain is a super organic computer that I don't know that we'll ever fully understand and certainly cannot be replicated. I don't care how many robots or drones you make, <laughs> you know, it no. just can't and, be. I mean, part of that is it's so malleable, too. I mean, that's the other thing that we're learning, right? It's mm-hmm. so absolutely possible to change the way that the brain works depending on your physical circumstances, what's going on with your physiology, what kind of food you're eating, what sort of habits you have. Like it's, so yeah, there's, you can't recreate that. There's no way. And you can do that in a heartbeat. I mean, people who have like an aha moment or suddenly switch something off. And I was able to watch a, um, uh, what was an MRI where they had a person's brain and they showed the neural pathways of the brain and the neural pathways of the brain can absolutely be filled in from negative thinking to positive thinking you could see new neural pathways being born if you will created in the brain like you would see these ridges coming up on come on this is fake right (laughs) no it's real (laughs) and I thought this is really cool because in you know in my work I'm working with people positive psychology energy psychology and the energy work that I do and it is all very it's been validated by science but it's fascinating to me because you can literally just shift an idea and go from negative to positive by just picking your body up and moving it 90 degrees and people don't believe it but I've done it in workshops and said okay tell me what is bothering you now I want you to turn and face the other way and think of this and I'm like how do you feel now and they're like well, okay. And I'll say, what were we talking about for? And they'll say, oh, I don't really remember. You shifted your brain. It's kind of like when you go from one room to another and you can't remember why you, why did I walk out into the kitchen? I was in my office and, and they call it the doorway thing where you go through the doorway and it's just gone. And I'm like, okay, this is yeah. really interesting. So yeah, I am totally fascinated by the things in the brain and what it can do, which is why in the intro I said about your book, this isn't just for kids. There's so much in it that I work with my adult patients on. Okay. And I mean, one, one of the things that really hit me is anger is fear. And I'm like, it absolutely is. I tell people this all the time. There's two emotions, fear and love. Everything icky is fear. Everything good is love. Pick one. You only have two choices. So I loved what I was reading in your book and I'm sure, I mean, a lot of adults do. You must be getting that kind of feedback that it's helping adults as well. Are you not? Yeah, no, I definitely am. Um, I, you know, I think that it is absolutely possible. I mean, you know, I myself was, went through an incredibly deep depression and um, about 15 years ago. And it was, you know, this 
sort of fake it till you feel it mentality of trying to shift my brain where I, where I used a gratitude practice um, over a period of weeks until the point where I really did actually feel it, right? And I was like, okay, right. something, there was some tipping point in my brain that just like all the dominoes went over and now I have a completely different way of looking at the world. Um, so I, I know it absolutely works with adults. Um, I wrote this for saying that it was for teenagers because teenagers are kind of a captive audience when they're yes. at school or in youth groups or whatever. And I feel, and because you can create new neural pathways, like super highways in the brain as yep. an adolescent, it's a little bit harder. Your brain is not quite as plastic when you're older, but it definitely is. And you can make a change. But I think, you know, we could shift the entire consciousness of a generation in this country if we talked about compassion and mindfulness and self-awareness to kids that are in middle and high school we could create a generation of adults that aren't divided and angry and fearful if we really wanted to Couldn't agree with you more. Could not agree with you more. It's so vital to do this so that, yeah, so there is, a, you know, a generation that's going to understand. And, you know, when I go in and do workshops in high schools and stuff and I'll say, okay, do you know why I'm here? And they'll say, no, <laughs> I'll say, I'm here to share the secret of life. And then I ask, you know, what's the secret of life? And you get all kinds of answers. And I always get, and it's always a guy. It's always a male student. Is it sex? And I'm like, no, but yeah. I get that answer all the time. You're not the first one, you know, wise guy. And, uh, and then I tell them it's gratitude. And they look at me and I say, it is. The more gratitude you have, the more open you are to receive more things in your life, the happier you are, the more joy you can give, the more joy you're going to get, the more you're going to follow a path that's good for you. And you're not going to allow things to get to you. So you react you're going to be able to make informed, good decisions and not react to things as much because it doesn't feel challenging because there's always, always, always something to be grateful for. And I agree with you. And I think, is your book in a lot of schools? I mean, it should be in every school in the country. So is it out there in the schools? Um, it's, we're working on it. I mean, the problem is with schools is that, um, especially with, with this particular format, is um, – it is something that individual teachers and individual building leaders really need to embrace and be willing to teach because, I mean, the, one of the things I love about teenagers is they are amazing BS detectors. And if yes. you're teaching them something and your heart really isn't in it or you don't actually believe what you're saying, they know. Yeah. Yep. So they're, they're not going to buy now, into it either. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're just going to roll their eyes and then, you know, text their friends during class. Yep. So yep. The, the biggest key for me right now is educator training, is getting more educators on board with why this is so important and how to actually deliver this curriculum in a way that is meaningful. Because a lot of teachers don't want to do facilitated discussion for example, and let the students lead those discussions because it's messy, you know? Yeah. You have to be skilled at sort of seeing when things could go sideways and you have to really pay attention. And you also have to be willing to not override anybody with your opinion because as a teacher, you're in a position of power and you can shut that conversation down in a hot second. So that's my biggest challenge right now is really getting educator buy-in. But it is out there. I've had a lot more success with private schools, frankly, because they have more flexibility. Yes, that makes sense. Yep, because even through my children's foundation and trying to get in and talk, and now I'm trying to help these kids. I'm trying to feed kids. I'm trying to clothe kids, give them coats. It's cold here. It's New Jersey. It's winter. You know, I'm trying to do these things that are not costing the schools anything, and I can't even tell you the superintendents, the principals, the board of trustees for or board of education for each of these school systems, how much in control they need to be, and I'm like, I'm giving you money. I'm trying to do something good here. What is wrong with you? So I understand where you're coming from. It's difficult to get a new idea that they didn't think of. And, you know, teachers, in my opinion, aren't paid enough and they don't want to do something different. You know, they don't. It's like I can't add something else to my curriculum, which brings me to a good point with you. You have a great curriculum. So I'd like to know if you could share, give us an overview of the curriculum that is offered in your book. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so there are different subject areas um, that include, and each subject area has between five and eight different lessons embedded within them. So the subject areas are mindfulness, compassion, self-worth, and stress, anxiety, and fear, and positive mindset. And so within each one of those, there's a set of sort of educator notes that just kind of gives the educator a background. And the lessons, each lesson um, starts with sort of a discussion prompt, which is in story form, because that's how the human brain processes information best, within story mm -hmm. form. Um, and then the goal is to have a guided discussion that jumps off that. Usually it's something that's sort of a surprising story or something that people hadn't thought of. Sometimes it's a little controversial. Um, but the goal is then to just let the students really lead that discussion and be able to share different ideas and really just practice getting curious about it. Um, yep. After that, after they have a discussion about it, there's an activity that goes along with it. Some of them are small group activities. Some of them are journaling activities that are meant to just be done on your own. Um, others are sort of games that you can play, but they're all, they all tie back to the original discussion that you just had. And then each lesson finishes with a guided meditation that is really designed to um, just kind of bring it deeper into the bones of each individual student. Um, and so what I'm really going for here is what we know about adolescents is if you can convince them to lead and teach you something, they're going to learn it better. And so that's mm -hmm. where the facilitated discussion comes in. The activity comes in um, also, and also the facilitated discussion, because adolescents are socially driven. They are biologically driven to create networks that are social. And so allowing them to work together and discuss things like that really hits those buttons, those social Ooh. buttons. And it activates different parts of the brain than just the discussion did. And then the guided meditation um, is really just designed to let kids be super introspective about that. Um, and then there's an appendix with some additional lessons in there as well if, if you're interested in doing that kind of stuff. But really the goal is to just sort of get students interested about something that they maybe haven't thought about before and activate the parts of their brain that normally aren't activated when they're sitting in school with their peers. And I would think that would be almost easy to sell to the teachers if you can get to them in, in the permissions that you need to get, because right now there's such a big uh, push on positive psychology. And finally, you know, um, Marty Sigmund of um, Penn State started all this, right? And so right. all of this is, it, it's so important and the kids can relate to that and they see probably a lot of parents going to yoga classes, doing meditation. So I think they're seeing it more in their environment and maybe the kids need to be the ones saying, we want this. I know that sometimes when kids come in here and I'll ask them, you know, do you meditate? And they'll say, yeah, and I'll be surprised because yeah. it's because mom or dad goes to yoga and they meditate and it's part of a daily practice, which I think is great because it stills the mind. Mm -hmm. It allows you to, you know, do all the things that you need to do, take everything from the day and just push it away and just be the observer. And I just really love that. And I loved the areas that you talked about, you know, the compassion and bringing in the, uh, all these different things that kids can grab onto that they're not learning in school now. They're not, they're just not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it is a new thing, but it's not, it could be part of a psych class, you know, where it's like, look, why don't we bring this in? under this and try to teach it and then spread it through the schools in another way. I, I don't know. I think yeah. that, yeah, what you're doing is fabulous. And I love the way it's written because it's easy to do. You don't have to do it in the order in the book. You can. No, no. Yeah. Go ahead and tell us about that. Cause I loved that. I was like, yeah. you don't have to do this in this order. <laughs> like, yeah, know. no, not educators not to. I, if you are, I know so many just really fabulous, fabulous teachers who really know their students and they can read their classrooms. Yep. And so I encourage educators. You're fading in and out, Carrie. I don't know what's going on. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. 
Maybe that's better. Um, I was waving my hand around. Excited. <laughs> that might have been it. <laughs> that's probably what it was. Um, yeah, so I encourage educators to really just look and read the room. If you're working with a group of, say, juniors in high school, probably what they really need is the stress, anxiety, and fear lessons. Yeah. They're looking at SATs. They're looking at applying to colleges. They're, you know. Um, so read the room. Figure out what it is your your kids really need. And there are things will flop. I mean, I definitely have delivered the curriculum before where maybe this group of kids hadn't built up enough trust with each other yet for one lesson, and they're all staring at me like I'm not even speaking the same language. So, you know, it happens. But, um, yeah, there's no linear progression necessary. You don't even have to do an entire lesson from beginning to end. I had one school where they just couldn't carve out enough time to really, really like the discussion portion. And so we broke it up into three different time periods throughout the week during their homeroom slash advisory period. So they would go in, we would do the story bit and let them have a really robust discussion for about 30 minutes. Then on Wednesdays, they would come back, we would do just a debrief of anybody, you know, here's what the discussion was. Did anybody have any extra thoughts about that in the last 48 hours? Anything that really hit you? Any aha moments? Anything cool? Anything you want to add that you feel like you didn't get to add? And then we would do the activity. And then on Friday, they would come back, and we would do a longer debrief on both the discussion and the activity. And then we would close with the guided meditation. And it was great it, because giving the kids that ability to sort of have that perspective across a week when they're living their actual daily lives and then come back and share was really cool. It, I feel like it integrated the concepts and the thoughts even more into their daily lives than just doing it all in one shot. So it was really written to be very flexible and to be something, you know, I mean, you can deliver this once a week as to your lacrosse team if you're the coach. Or, um, you know, I did it in carpool. I, Seattle's traffic is notoriously awful. And I had six girls in my carpool, and Ooh. it took us like an hour and a half to complete the carpool. And I would just throw out an idea. Okay, guys, we're talking about this an idea, you know. So that's really great because, but you know the work so well, you know. So, but to have them, I could see if I were a student in school, loving this and being excited about it, and. But I'm, I've always been into, like, research. I'm, you know, I analyze things to death. I'm a Capricorn. And uh, <laughs> we do that. I analyze things to death. I want to research it. But why? What's the science behind it? No, I don't believe it until you prove it to me. You know? And, uh, so I would be really, really interested in that. And I would be excited about it. I bet the students are. You, you must be getting that type of feedback from teachers as well. Yeah. I mean, anytime you give kids an opportunity to really – get curious about something without there being a right or wrong answer. And right. They actually, yes. You know, with no judgment, get to speak their truth. Like here's my lived experience. That Kids get super excited about that. I mean, who wouldn't people, we love to talk about ourselves. This is human nature. So yeah. Um, teachers have said that one of the only challenging things about this curriculum is honestly shutting the discussion portion down because kids want to talk about it absolutely forever. Yeah. Which is cool. That's what we want them to do. That is cool. And that is, that's, I think that's great feedback because it shows that the kids want this. Now it needs to be its own class. It needs to be its own, you know, you're going from, math to language arts to whatever now you're going to go to this you know and almost like yeah. a gym class it's it's fun to go to gym class now this is a fun class where they they know they're learning but they don't get it at the the level of the academic book and everything it's a much better and more fun way to learn plus i have to say i can't believe that it wouldn't reduce bullying which is so prevalent in our society today which is so disgustingly prevalent in our society I would think it would really, because of the mindfulness alone, that being said, bulliness would kind of like almost dissipate on its own because of that. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had studies to prove that because I think you're probably right. I mean, what I've witnessed is if, you know, this ability of kids to take the other person's perspective on 
and really understand in a completely different way something about this person that they didn't realize before. And creating those social connections, it, like then why would you, you know, learn something really cool and amazing about this other person's perspective and then walk out in the hall and bully them, right? You're not going to do right. that. <laughs> right. So yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the other cool thing about this curriculum is it gives kids the opportunity to practice having difficult conversations because most of us haven't had practice at that. Most of us yeah. either, you know, were raised like even adults. Right. I was raised by these very stoic baby boomer parents who never fought in front of us and never let us see them disagree until the last two months before they got divorced when everything blew up all the time, right? So, so I mean, that's not funny, was, but it is. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it's like hide every horrible thing until, you know, it explodes. And then once you're at the point of it exploding, then it's fine to be angry and nasty to each other. Like, that's what I learned, right? So yeah, right, yeah. You avoid conflict. It's like, well, but what if, you know, what if we didn't do that? What if we taught kids how to have difficult conversations? What if we taught kids that it's okay to disagree, you know? What if yep. we taught them what it feels like to open your mind and lead with curiosity? Huh, okay. You know, I mean, those are all skills that are going to do us all a world of good if we teach our teenagers how to do that. Yes, because you're learning yourself as, you, as, as you're teaching, you learn. Oftentimes I'll be saying something and I'll think to myself, listen to what you're saying, T, this is for you too. <laughs> you know, right. I really do that thought goes right through my head. And I'm like, oh, yep, listen to what you're saying because you need this too right now. It doesn't happen yeah. often, but there are times where it's like, oh, yeah, I need to practice this as well. You know, don't be the person that says, you know, do as I say, not as I do. So, yeah. I think that's really important. And the funny part is when you talk about this, it reminded me of debate club. Now debate club was always something that you did, but it was for a specific thing out in the workforce. It was never for life. And yet when you look at the other perspective, if you can debate things, you know, that you see your perspective and I see you, you present the perspective and you can kind of see each other's. This is not a debate club, but it certainly is teaching them that, like a debate club, you have to take it all out into, you know, the entire, yeah. every aspect of your life. It's not just work. It's not just at school. It's every relationship you have. And the most important one, of course, is the one you have with yourself so that you can present well and talk to people constructively instead of hiding all the fighting until, like you said, six months before they got a divorce, which, yeah, I mean, that's just cracks me yeah. up because like, I can see people doing that with their kids, you know, um, you know, we don't want oh, you yeah. to see that it's not working, but now that it's not working and you know, we're getting a divorce. Now we're just going to, we're hell bent for election. We're just going to say whatever we want, you know, and <laughs> like, yep. okay, well, we didn't yep. see this coming. That's, that's worse. But yeah, I really right. like the way the book is, is presented and the fact that you can do all these things in any order. Because I picked up on the fact that when I was going through it, I thought if you're a good teacher and you can and you know your audience, just like with anything, you're going to choose the one that to start with and then work on the others. So, right. yeah, that was um, that was really that came through. You know, I, I think a lot of things came through. Um, yeah. One of the questions I'm getting from someone on uh, I can see it coming through now is Castle. What are the Castle guidelines? Tell us what that acronym means and how it helps our children. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll yeah, ask her. So, <laughs> all right. So CASEL stands for the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. And it is a nonprofit organization that is, um, has really picked up steam in the United States in the last five years especially. They drive research on academic and social-emotional learning. They guide practice. They inform policy. And they really have enough credibility that schools are really looking to them to provide sort of best practices for social and emotional teaching within schools. Um, and so um, because they really are a very well-respected organization and they really have done a ton of research, um, they, they have different um, areas that they say are important for a social, for good social emotional health and there are five different areas. So there's self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. 
And um, so each of the, when I wrote the book, there's sort of an appendix at the back that will tell you which of those skills is addressed in which lesson. So that if you are a school or um, a, a, an administrator that really wants to know, you know, you want to be able to check those boxes and say, we are addressing social emotional learning and here's how. Um, that's just sort of your cheat sheet to say, yes, these, these things are being addressed in these ways in these lessons. Okay. That, yeah, I think that, okay, yeah, they're saying thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to ask this. This is kind of a tough question because there were so many things that I, I liked. But was there anything in the book that was, as you were writing it, was more difficult to write and get down into a lesson? Was one of them, what was the most difficult one? What was the easiest one? And what did the students find to be the one that is maybe most popular? say the popularity depends on the age of the student. I okay. That the kids, the older students, the older high school students tend to really, really appreciate the stress, anxiety, and fear lessons, yep. frankly. Um, they tend to be, they tend to respond to those a little more. Um, probably had more exposure. It, frankly, and they're, and they're willing to be able to sort of take that brain break. I think the younger middle school kids, um, that you know, the mindfulness chapter might be one of the ones the educators want to do towards the end after they've already had some practice. Um, the um, the middle school kids tend to, in the beginning, really roll their eyes at the compassion, yeah, because there's so much talk about bullying and stuff that I think they they it's not cool to have to learn about that, but yeah, um, they're saturated. You know, the, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I really, probably some of my favorite lessons are in the self-worth chapter because I think that, um, I mean, the very first lesson in there is comparison as a form of self-judgment. And mm -hmm. I think that really speaks to the social media world that these kids are in is, yeah, there's never a moment where you're not comparing yourself to everybody else's sort of ideal self out there. Um, and so I feel really like those are the most impactful in a lot of ways for kids. Um, I think that one is good for women. Yeah. Really? I, yeah, you know, it, that one should just be pulled out and be put in a woman's book because women really are hard on themselves. They are. And when women come in here, oh, the first yeah. thing that happens is about self-care. And they're like, what? oh, I can't do that. I feel guilty. I'm like, you know what? You're going to die feeling guilty. So you might as well die feeling guilty about taking care of yourself, you know? <laughs> right. No, absolutely. And the meditation that is, that is um, part of that lesson is one that I designed that's called Appreciate Your Body. And it literally is, is sort of like a body scan, but it's a body scan where you go through and you express your gratitude and appreciation for each part of your body and the functions that it allows you to have. So, yes. you know, all the different bones and muscles and tendons in your feet and the way that they move seamlessly to get you over rough terrain and smooth terrain and icy terrain and to, you know, regardless of which shoes you're wearing, like you, the bones and muscles and tendons in your feet just automatically adjust without us even thinking about that. That's pretty miraculous. Let's thank yeah. our freaking feet, you know? Yeah. Um, and I did that meditation for the first time at a school called the Recovery School, which is an alternative public high school for kids with addiction issues. Um, and a young man came up to me afterwards and he was just sobbing and mm. said, thank you. Like, you have no idea. <laughs> I hate my body. I've always hated my body. And yeah. I, he's like this, he's like six foot seven, you know, skinny as a rail. Like he, he's, he was in, he's like, I never looked at my body like that before. I can't, yeah. I don't, he's like, I'm just going to be crying about this for a while. Thank you. 
Well, and that meditation is great because you do go from everything with start with your feet and go to your bones and you end up, if I remember correctly, with your immune systems and healing your cells and, and all of this yeah. stuff. And I, you know, it's a great meditation because people, we take our bodies for granted. And I do have, I go to a yoga studio like five times, six times a week, and I have different instructors there. And I'm a, a yoga instructor myself, but I don't teach because I know I'm not good at it. I, I don't want to teach. I'm good at yoga, but I'm not good at teaching yoga because it's just, I go for me. This is for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. going to teach Fair anyone. <laughs> but after, yeah, you know, you know, you got to do what you're good at and know what you're not good at. And somebody said, you'd be a good substitute. Yep. You could do it. I could do it, but I don't think I'd be good at it because I don't want to do it. I'm not into it. I'm into it to do it for me. You know, I'm not yep. stupid. So, yep. um, but at the end, a couple of the instructors are, you know, give thanks to your body for what it's doing for you today. And I have to say, some of the classes are extremely strenuous. I'm sweating bullets. I couldn't possibly go to a meeting afterward. I have to come home and take a shower. And I'm just like, this is great because people don't think about what your knees do and what your thighs do and what your, you know, your sits bones do and how everything works. So that was one of my favorite meditations. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I will be using good. it. I will be using it with people in my practice. I'll be like, you have to buy this book and I'm going to do this meditation with you now. <laughs> you know? Awesome. So, Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be using your book a lot because there's a lot of stuff in it. That's, oh, good. I don't have to write this. This is already done for me. Yay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I'll give you credit. <laughs> Excellent. I'm happy to help. I'm glad. No, well, yeah, because that's really what happy. I'm trying I mean, to do. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much of what we do in our daily lives where we only look at the deficits, you know, yeah, the things yep. that we're not good at or the things yep. where we screwed up. And there's so much going on all the time. And I, you know, extend that out to the real world as well. I have a girlfriend who is really struggles to be positive. Um, and, you know, and she'll, you know, come and complain about whatever the political situation or you know, the, the earth is on fire or, you know, all these things. And it's like, yes. And right now mm. somebody else is solving some major problem. Somebody else is, you know, helping somebody across the street. Someone else is like, think about all of the amazing good acts and positive energy that's out there in the world right now. All the things that people are doing to help each other and to feel better about themselves and to be creative, the, the beautiful music and art that people are creating that, you know, it's like there's, but we don't look at that stuff. Right. We talk about the, the problems and then we talk about how we should solve the problems in an attempt to kind of try to be positive, but that doesn't trigger the right places in our brain. <laughs> you no. know, they, yeah. we got to trigger the places in our brain where we recognize all the good and the positive yeah. and the healthy and, you know, there's so much love out there. And so how yep. can we pay as much or more attention to that as we do to the things that scare the crap out of us? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's funny because I just had a woman come in the other day and she was telling me about the political situation. I said, look, I don't do politics, okay? I don't like the situation. I don't like it at all. <laughs> but here's the thing. I live in the greatest country in the world. I have running water that I don't have to worry about brushing my teeth with it and getting a disease or anything. I can brush my teeth. I can drink the water. I am able to come and go as I please. I woke up this morning and I can, if I want to, bitch and complain about the political thing. In other countries, you can't. You'll be beheaded. And I'm just going to say, you know, maybe if you thought about the things to be grateful for and the fact that you do live here and try to shift the perspective that way and realize, you know, things are good. And this is what she says to me, you know, it's going to snow Saturday. And I said, yeah, and you know what? We need the snow. We haven't had much this year. December 2nd, that was it. Winter snow is summer water. We need it. It's a weekend. Who cares? Make it a play day. Make it a play day. Yeah. You know, just try to be positive and look at the good side. And she's like, I always try to stump you. And I'm like, is that really why you come here? Because <laughs> I mean, it's not going to work, you know. <laughs> but you're right. Everybody looks, it's so easy to go down the negative road. It's so easy. And if yeah. you can just, the moment you start to go down the road, if you realize, wait, I don't want to go down that road. I'm going to, you know, think of something else, anything else. There's so much to be grateful for. You're breathing because the trees are, are shifting you know, they're taking in all our ick and giving us oxygen and we're <laughs> breathing out all the ick and giving it to them. And it's great, you know, but people yeah. don't, um, they don't do that. And the kids, the earlier they can learn that, the better. And the teachers teaching it, it will only 
help to reinforce what they already know or help them to shift a little bit too. So you're actually making an impact on so many people. It's not just the children, it's the instructors as well who already know some of this stuff perhaps or love it and think they're doing it. But when they get into it, they realize they can do it more. So the ripple, you know, your book is the stone and the ripple is just so great. I hope it changes the entire world. I think it should be in every school everywhere. And I, I truly wish you the best of luck with it. And we're getting close to the Thank top you. of the hour. So I want to ask you, um, you know, is there anything you want to add to this? And I certainly want you to tell our listeners how they can learn about you, more about you and where they can purchase your book. But is there anything else you'd like to add to this discussion of the book itself? Um, I think the only other thing that I would like to just sort of hammer home is Kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for. And Mm -hmm. I think if whether you're an educator or a parent or a grandparent or an auntie or uncle, if you take the time to really to ask a question and then really, really listen, you will be absolutely blown away. And these kids want that kind of attention. They want to have a voice. And the more we can give them a voice, the more we can create those really strong relationships that feel trusting and safe. Um, and so I know it's really hard. Kids, teenagers get a bad rap. Um, yeah, they do. That, you know, we need to just give them more space to teach us because they have a lot to teach us. Um, but I think we have a lot to learn from. Phase, yeah. We have a lot to learn from children, even just from watching them, the little, little, little ones, yep. you know, any from yep. six months to, to four years old. Watch them. They're living in joy. They know how to do it. Yeah. Then we take their little heads and mess them up. <laughs> you know? Oh, absolutely. No, I have this really quick anecdote I want to share with you. So my, my youngest daughter, um, there when she was about five, her favorite teacher got really, really sick, and we went to go visit her in the hospital. And it was a pretty somber time. It was, you know, we, they weren't quite sure what was wrong with her. And she was kind of trying to rally and engage with my daughter. But it was it was tough. And as we were walking back to our car down the hallway in the hospital, my daughter's, like, skipping and singing. And I was just so surprised because I'd expected her to be really morose and traumatized or whatever. And I said, honey, what? how come you're so happy? Okay, I'm losing you. Where are you? Oh no, I'm losing you. Uh-oh. 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 I heard I heard up to the part where she's skipping down the hall. So start there. <laughs> okay, so she's skipping down the hallway just singing and and I was really shocked because I had expected her to be really traumatized by this experience. So mm-hmm. I said to her, "Honey, how come you're so happy right now?" And she turned around and looked at me like I was nuts and she said, "Mama, you don't need any reason at all to be happy. You can just be happy." <laughs> And I was like, Smart kid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you win. <laughs> yep. You're right. Yep. Smart kid. <laughs> yeah. Very smart child. See, you did well, and you didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> I did well just by not messing her up. I mean, you know, yeah. letting letting my kids be who they are, giving them that yep. space to be curious. Yep. Letting them have a voice and be heard, and they were heard. They were heard. Yeah. And that's important yeah. because when they they know when they're not heard. You know, and you have to give them that space. Yeah. And I mean, when it's a group setting, I'll say, no, one at a time. And everybody gets to be heard because everybody is just as important as everybody else. Nobody in this room is any better than anybody else, including me. I'm not better than you. I'm older than you, but I'm not better than you. And then they look at me and there's a whole new respect because I respect them. Yep, absolutely. No, one of my favorite quotes is trust is an outcome of honest conversation, not a prerequisite for it. Yep. If we can tell Absolutely. Kids, we, you know, okay, I trust you. We're going to have a good, strong conversation. I respect you as an equal. Man, they'll tell you so many amazing things. Yep. They, and they're very willing to share and be open and, and, and be honest themselves. It's, they're great. Kids are great. We have so much to learn from them. It's too bad that we think, well, they're young. I can't learn anything. Oh, we could learn so much more. <laughs> yeah, it's true. This is yeah, it true. is. Tell us where they, uh, our listeners can learn more about you and where they can purchase your book, One Teenager at a Time. So I have a website called The Self Project, S-E-L-F um, Project. And so it, and the website is theselfproject.com. And I have a blog there. All the meditations are on that site um, recorded 
that you can listen to for free. And then there are links to one teenager at a time. And then my other book for parents, for parents of adolescents um, called The Self Project for Parents. I would like to ask, if you have a few minutes, uh, I know we're going to be going over. If that's okay with you, it's okay with me. I would like you to tell us a little bit about the Self Project. So the Self Project is something that I started as a way to do pilot projects of this curriculum. Um, It has since blossomed into, I self-published a book called The Self Project for Parents. And so that is mindfulness training for parents who have adolescents. And um, so it's, it's very much a parallel curriculum to this book. Um, and then I do one-on-one mindful parenting coaching and workshops and things like that. So the self-project is just sort of the umbrella for all of my social-emotional health teaching for adolescents. And is it a nonprofit organization? It is not a nonprofit organization because um, it took me seven years to write this book. So I figured um, I might as well... <laughs> <laughs> take some money, make some money out of it. Um, no, no, no. Yes, that's it, yeah. So. That I understand, <laughs> but I, I didn't know if the self project itself was um, was a nonprofit that you had started or not. I wasn't sure. No, it's so not a nonprofit. It is a um, an LLC, and the, my goal is ultimately to be able to provide um, an equal amount of to low-income and Title I schools as I do to regular schools. So um, Mm -hmm. it's definitely not about making a bunch of money. It is just about making enough so that I can provide free services or reduce. See, I knew there was a piece of that there, and that's what I wanted you to get across. See, I knew that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to be proud of that. (laughs) Yes, I teach on a sliding scale. I do workshops on a sliding scale. All of my work is on a sliding scale so that I can – you know, charge the folks who have a lot more money a little bit more so that I can provide yep. training to other folks who can't afford it. Yeah, it's helping yeah. others. It's helping everyone. Gosh. Well, this was a great show. I, I really enjoyed it immensely. If you'd hang on the line a few minutes while I do the outro, I'll get back with you in the green room so that I can talk to you for a bit. So, okay, Thanks. listeners, we, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so that they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows and the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting, including my sound healing concerts and labyrinth walks. Please check out Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need. 100%. We're run solely by volunteers. There are no salary stipends or compensation of any kind to anyone. And you can learn about our fundraising campaigns and, and see exactly where the money goes and how it helps kids at Soji Huggles. So we are investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. Thanks for taking time to visit our website, SojiHuggles.org. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at both at NRG Aware Radio and at Soji Huggles. And please like us on Facebook at Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. I am your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.